Mark, we only have you for, what, 10 minutes today? Well, Wade, it's a very important day. Yes. Yeah. I don't know why. Uh, yes, I'm only uh, here for a, a little while. It was, it was a thrill to be here last week. Yay. Surprise, everybody. Now you're sick of me. <laughs> so I'll just be here for some of the show, and then I will, uh, I will leave it to in the more, way more capable hands of uh, Tim yeah. Cogshell. Uh. So, uh, so where are you off to now? Well, I'm uh, off to Paris. Yeah. I'm going to go to Paris for another uh, few months. If I'm lucky, maybe I'll get some work. If I'm not yeah. lucky, I'm going to run out of money and come back to the States. Yeah. And then uh, we'll see what happens. You'll be a star. Yeah. I don't I don't know, man. We'll You'll see. The, you will be in the next I still want to try to get him to do a little reporting from Paris. This yeah. Cost us an MP3 yeah. anytime you see something kind of Parisy. What yeah. would I do? What well, okay, what what would be a, a sort of thing that I would do? What would what would my Paris beat be that would make sense to the Digigods? Listeners, you would uh, sell. You see, there's you... nothing. You're making it up because there's nothing. <laughs> I'm not going to report on French films. They're all terrible, and I don't understand them because I don't get. I don't understand French. Uh, you can re- you can report on food. You could send us oh, great recipes. Food. You could you could run. You could tell us what it's like to run a little crepe cart. You in, know, in downtown Paris, you will make crepes for people. You know what little, I would. Lemon on a little honey. You know what I would love to do. I was thinking about this. You know, you wouldn't make money doing this, but it'd be fun. Make a deal with like a restaurant or a bar and have some sort of open mic comedy night for English only comedians <laughs> to like go- to like goof on life and to goof on life in France. Oh. You 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 know that there's like comics or funny people or even yeah. even performance artists who want to have seven minutes talking yeah. about in in the English yeah. talking about how crazy it is to live in Paris. Yeah, and I do I sort of David Sedaris kind of yeah. yeah. I would make a deal with some with with the back room of some restaurant. And I would say, you know, just give me, give, give, give me half the, you know, whatever money you make on booze and food for people who come and watch this thing. Give me twenty five percent of it, and then I'll bring some people in. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. That would be cool. Now I could make a living at that, but that would be cool. Yeah, yeah. that would work. Yeah. And then I'd kill myself because I'm poor and I have no money. Hey, hey, how's Solo going to be? Do we have any opinions about Solo? It's well, it's tracking huge. Is it? But of course, does anybody? Will anybody like it? Yeah. You know, it 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 depends. If it feels like this weird Frankenstein movie that was half directed by one duo and then half directed yeah. by like Opie, you know, <laughs> it's good. It's going to be weird. This is the thing that I find interesting about Solo. The movie's called Solo. Han Solo. Solo. Yeah. Right. Uh, yet the biggest star, the most well-known person, uh, the human being who is an actor yeah. on that one sheet, uh, is uh, the black kid, yeah. uh, uh, Lando Calrissian. Yeah, uh, uh, Donnell Glover. Donnell Glover has a television show. He's a rap star. He's a movie star. Speaking of, how they get to have that title? Solo is a movie about Mario Van Peebles as an android. <laughs> yeah, I remember made that. Made twenty years ago yeah. that my wife worked on. A bald android. Yeah, uh, yeah, I remember. My that. wife worked on that. I, I, don't I remember. I remember every second of that movie really, really well. Yeah, I, 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 the director and the editing, the whole thing. I remember it. I remember it really well. That strike me interesting though. That because uh, yeah. you know, I mean, I did, you know, the, the kid playing Han Solo. Yeah. He was he was in that. Uh, 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 the, uh, he was in the Warren Beatty, Beatty film. Yeah, yeah. you know, and, and, and I think no, he's he's cool. He's, he's yeah, there's some, there's something there. You know, but what's what's interesting too is that is and this is for like the film school nerds and theorists and whatnot. You know, people always say, oh, the names of characters in movies seem so generic and just like oh, they just pulled a name out of their butt. No, no, no. Like the best film character names usually mean something. Either it is an overt. Or not overt way. And you yeah. look at a guy named Solo. Why is his name Solo? Han Solo. It sounds like arbitrary yeah. and kind of alien. No, he's, his name is Solo because he goes it alone. Yeah. Yeah, except and he's like, not ever. 
but yeah, right, why but is like, his name? Why is it, why is the other guy's name Luke Skywalker? Well, because he. Um, well, it's better than what he was before. Star Killer. <laughs> yeah. And you can't have him named Star Killer. Lando Calrissian. Yeah. You know, I don't know. That sounds cool. I love it. Just a cool, cool name. What I'm wondering is this, and and it is, I'm wondering if Donnell is going to do what would be really bright. Yeah. I'm wondering if he's going to bring an ever so slightly Billy D thing to it. Oh, I'm sure he will. Because Billy D has a very particular presence. He's got to suggest that. Yeah. You know, and don't go over the top or anything, but if if you just bring a little bit of that Billy D in. Yeah. Now, Billy Billy D had, Billy D captured, he, he, he encapsulated for a certain generation, and this goes even before Star Wars. This is 1970. Oh, the Brian song, oh, yeah, all the way back. Yeah, he just there's a there's a there was a, like a, there was an elegance, right? There was just like a like a smooth, just, a, just that that velvety voice. It all just you know the hair was always just so perfectly done. Yeah, that mustache looked like he spent an hour grooming it. Right, everything about Billy D was just sculpted. Billy D. Williams in mahogany opposite Diana. Oh my yeah. gosh, so changed good. the black. It was a, it was a moment in the black community because uh, you know it had been Sidney, yeah. it had been Harry, and sure. it, that was all about you know stuff. But no, that was just Billy D. Williams hot for Diana yeah. Ross because yeah. she's fine as hell. And we're yeah. like, go Billy, go. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 but because you, you felt like he might do it, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it was just a beautiful thing, man. Yeah, no, he he's, uh, he's he was icon. as cool as the other side of the pillow. I'm sure that there you go. <laughs> I love that. That's it. Uh, All right. So the point being is that we don't know how. You know, also, at what point will there be diminishing returns for these Disney? Shoving Star Wars films down our throat like yeah. like like a duck gets fed to be made into foie gras. Yeah, you know it it's going to be too much. It started to diminish for me. But already. wait you a second, but people still there. I'm gone. I'm no, there. no, no. People thought that about Marvel forever, and then like we said last week, just when you're sick of it, they throw you the curve. Yeah. Here comes Guardians. Um, these are too serious. Here comes Ant Man. Yeah, you yeah. know. Yeah. And so I don't know, man. If Disney plays it like Marvel, now of course you know Kevin Feige is such a maestro. In terms of planting the seed and knowing when to when to give and when to take away and just getting us just, I, I, nobody nobody on the Lucasfilm side I don't know is that mm. clever is Kathleen Kennedy that clever in terms of like they don't have their bearings yet and they don't have their bearings for the same reason that DC doesn't really have their bearings which is that there's no one godfathering the unit that is nerdily infatuated with it that seems to be the thing. What makes Pixar work is that the guys that worked at Pixar, they just live, eat, breathe, and drink Pixar all day long. That's mm. all they do. It's their culture. These, they just love these movies. And it's the same thing with Feig. Feig loves Marvel. Marvel is his life. It's just he, he's devoted himself to it. I don't know that Kathleen Kennedy is a real Star Wars aficionado. I think she's approaching it like a businesswoman. And, um, I, you know, I love Kathleen Kennedy. I think she's great. I, but I think she needs someone there and maybe you know JJ's not a not a producer. JJ's a filmmaker. He's a writer uh, primarily. J, JJ would be a good person to godfather it, but I don't think he wants to. Um, I'm not even sure how much he wanted to direct nine. I think that nine, I think he had to direct nine. Yeah, there was pressure for him to direct nine because who's going to do it? You know, the director seemed to be you know when you look at the Lucasfilm Star Wars like the like the Disney Star Wars films, you know how many directors they've lost? They fired. Yeah. 
in just a, in just the course of like three movies, they fired like four directors. Yeah, you know. Think so I think it's it's the same thing with DC. Look at how many of those films. Oh, but they thought that was, they thought Zach would be the guy to Snyder yeah, would no. be the. But no, you know, uh, he, he didn't have they, the, they, the correct they, sensibility. They, they lost two directors on Batman before Matt finally came on. They lost uh, a director on Wonder Woman. They uh, you know they lost a director on well, Aquaman and Flash. Both lost directors. I mean they. They, you know, it's a similar thing. And then they made, made a mistake and kept the director on uh, Fantastic Four. Oh, my God. <laughs> who they should have fired. Those yeah. are dreadful movies. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Man. Well, anyway, it'll be interesting to see. Solo. Yes, and yes, Tim. The Tim Story movies made money. Which did? The Fantastic Four Tim Story movies. If oh, they you, did. Yeah, they did. If they, you they, release those today, movies, if you release, movies, if you release those today, you'd be like, this is lame compared to all yeah. the great stuff we get now. Yeah. Really sort of bizarre. Yeah. But, they, but they did make money. They had the, the, that, that, that one that, uh, that, that reboot was just oh, such man. a mistake. That's the guy they should have fired. Yeah. yeah. But you know what's funny is that Fox, and I'll, say, I'll, I'll take off and you guys can do, do DVDs and Blu-rays, but it's funny how Fox has done a pretty good job with their Marvel movies. I think the X-Men movies are pretty good. They're, they're, a, little, they're a little more adult and a little less popcorn-y than some of the Marvel films are. Uh, what I think they have they, did Deadpool. What I think they did that was smart is that they followed the Marvel strategy in building the X-Men world. The X-Men Marvel Universe at Fox is a little bit different, but it's it still follows a similar pattern of setting up another movie at the end of each thing. You know, they still have the teases. Um, they're still building a broader world. They have this, the smarts to bring in a younger X-Men crew. But you, those movies class. are not after Brian Singer anyway. Those movies stop being about the directors. Yeah. Uh, the, the X-Men movies are not... A, yeah, Brian Singer was the last yeah. time that it was about the directors. Uh, these the Marvel universe and the DC universe. The directors still matter. Yeah. Um, uh, those Russo boys and uh, you can go. I mean, you all the way back. They but on the on, but on the other side, yeah. it wasn't about the directors. Yeah. It was. Yeah, but Marvel's not making Logan. You know, that's true. That's, true. that's a really that's that's, that's a, a brave film. Move. That's a brave move, and it was great. Although, isn't it Oscar weird? nominated? It's what's weird to me is that there was a moment they had they shifted gears because when you got Wolverine. The idea that was that was X Men Origins colon Wolverine. We were supposed to be getting more origin Jordan, stories, yeah. right? We were going to be doing origin movies for all these different X Men, and they abandoned that and they just stuck with Wolverine. I think perhaps they because they thought that you know none of the others were interesting enough that they would justify origin stories. But I guarantee you, if you have you know an origin story for um, Magneto, if you go really deep into that, that could be interesting. They sure. hinted at it in two other films, all that, you know, all the, the, the Holocaust connection. Um, but they haven't really gone deep into it. I think you could do a lot with that. So, well, and I, now all that stuff, uh, uh, Legion. Uh, yeah, Legion you know, on TV. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's, it's sort of all falls, falls into that. Yeah. And I'll be watching all of it uh, with English subtitles. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going, to, I'm going to bid adieu, <laughs> au revoir <laughs> to <laughs> our <laughs> listeners. Thank you so much for all the support. Uh, yeah. Not, not that I won't ever be back. I mean, we. Yeah. I said goodbye six months ago. Now here I am doing two shows. Yes, you know, keep the passport in good order, and that's it. You know, if things get too weird, you're gonna, over there, you're gonna get where you are gonna be the villain in the next Jean Dujardin film. I'm telling you, you <laughs> exactly. will be. You are you are gonna be an OSS villain. I would. You know what? I would be a PA on the OSS films. I love those movies. They're hilarious. Anyway, all right, guys. Well, thank you so much for having Fantastic. me as a guest. The uh, the thank podcast is in great hands, except for Wade. Yes, indeed. <laughs> See you later, Mark. All right.
And he's off. So we we do wish Mark all the best mm. moving forward. He's I'm telling you, he's going to be a villain in a in a in an OSS 117 film. Nice. We're going to laugh. The people of France are very lucky. Yeah, he will be the uh, the American villain. All right. So uh, jumping into new movies and and relevant new releases, uh, I got a few here. A couple from Warner Brothers. Deep Blue Sea two. Uh, did anybody really want this? Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going to say something clever, but I, skip yeah. that. Anyway, uh, this is from Warner. It's a Blu-ray, DVD, and uh, movies anywhere on this. Uh, no, nothing really by way of extras, just some uh, featurette material and a gag reel. Um, deleted scenes. You know, I guess in the CGI era, we can do scarier movies than Jaws, but because we've had so many of them, they aren't scarier than Jaws. And uh, I, I didn't think the first Deep Blue Sea was all that relevant. And, well, uh, Deep Blue Sea, less people rem- uh, forget, a giant shark movie, people yeah. trapped in some sort of a high-tech yeah. something or other. I remember uh, I remember a great Rennie scene. Harlan. Rennie Harlan. Rennie Harlan. Kind of a sort of a semi-comeback for him in a way. I remember a great scene that involved uh, Samuel Jackson being eaten suddenly. By a shark. Yeah. And I, that's the only thing I really remember about D.B. Blue Sea. Well. And L.O. Uh, cool J. I think L.O. Cool J. Yeah. Rennie Har- Harlan has nothing to do with this one. Uh, this is a straight to, straight to home video thing. And uh, there's, a, there's a whole, like, Alzheimer's uh, thing that was, um, that was that, that's part of this narrative that really doesn't need to be. Uh, and uh, it, 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 the way that it dovetails now into this film is rather silly. Um, it's, it's the, you know, it's the pharmaceutical angle. Anyway, uh, I don't know. I guess if you like the first one, you'll probably have something. Uh, uh Batman Ninja is really great. Can yeah. I just say that? Batman Ninja, DC animated movie, Blu-ray, DVD, and, uh, movies anywhere. Um, this is basically, uh, anime Batman. It's tremendous. It's just tremendous. Uh, so impressive. Really cool. Great idea. Um, amazingly cool animation. Uh, I just think it's great. I just think it's absolutely terrific. Um, it's Batman all basically, uh, done anime style and, uh, it's great. It's absolutely great. And, you know, we've had Batman in feudal Japan, (laughs) which is also really great. And, uh, this just looks so great. I don't know. I, I hope they do more of this. You know, the Japanese anime artists are just so, so good. And, uh, it is, if you, if you, See no other DC animated movie in your life. This is the one to start with. It's really great. Uh, I, it's just so impressive. Uh, probably should have included that with the anime stuff, but uh, which we're going to get to shortly. And then uh, these two, uh, I will make quick mention of. This is uh, both straight to uh, DVD, Blood and Glory, which is a uh, respectable indie period thing. I, I kind of want to call it a uh, a. Um, uh, a Western, but it isn't really, it's not a traditional Western. It takes place in 1901. And uh, it's sort of, um, it's uh, it's basically set, take, it takes place during the Boer Wars in South Africa, which is it, for that country, kind of a Western yeah. moment. Um, it feels like an American Western, feels a little bit like an Australian Western in some respects, feels a little bit like a Civil War movie in uh, some respects. If you don't know the history of the Boer War, um, you might want to check it out. This is a long movie, two and a quarter, Blood and Country, uh, presumably, quote-unquote, inspired by true events. This is from uh, Cleopatra Entertainment by way of MVD Visual. And it has a director's commentary and deleted scenes. Uh, But really check it out. Some really good acting in here by people that you just, very, I mean, I've seen them in a few things. You know, Charlotte Salt, I've seen in Beowulf. 
and the Tudors, and then uh, Nick Cornwall and Retribution. So, I mean, these are not you know big names, but it's a good film. It's worth checking out. Uh, the Boer War story, Blood and Glory. The Manor, uh, which comes to us from Lionsgate. This is a straight-to-DVD thing from Lionsgate. Uh, Christina Robinson from Dexter is the star of this kind of creepy horror film um, where, you know, they, there's, there's just this, these bizarre relatives that... Uh, um, how where do we how do we even uh, mm. describe this? It is um, uh, it, it's it's basically oh hill it's like hills have eyes except not with uh, Michael Berryman and not in the mountains. <laughs> I don't know, maybe that's it. Anyway, uh, so a woman comes out of an asylum and uh, the world is crazier on the outside than it was on the inside. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. Uh, anyway. It's a, it's a decent little horror film. It's straight to DVD. Uh, some you know pretty respectably done. Directed by Jonathan Shermerhorn, who I've never heard of, but he, he's got some skills. Uh, got a few more? Yeah, no. Go ahead, hit those. Uh, the, the Winchester movie, um, uh, which I thought was a little bit interesting. Helen Mirren uh, uh, playing Sarah Winchester. Who, uh, of course, was the heir to the Winchester, uh, you know, yeah. rifle fortune. Yeah. Uh, built this house, started building uh, uh, right outside San Francisco, seven story house, hundreds and hundreds of rooms. It's always been rumored that it was uh, a haunted house. It is an interesting place. Uh, it has all kinds of doors to go to nowhere, staircases that in uh, in nowhere, uh, uh, wacky stuff like that. Anyway, it's a neat fodder for a ghost story, which is what this is, and actually a fairly effective one. Uh, if you like your ghost stories, a spooky and well acted by Helen Mirren and Jason Clark. Special feature driven by the spirits, uh, the sort of making of the movie kind of thing. Um, Blue uh, Blu-ray, DVD, and digital download. Cool. Winchester. Dakota Fanning, Tony Collette, Alice Eve. Neat little movie. Please stand by. About an autistic young woman uh, who has a particular obsession uh, with Star Trek. And she sort of gets away from her, her caregiver and takes this journey, this little, like, little cross-country journey, to go and uh, deliver her script for a Star Trek uh, screenwriting competition. Look, um, this, this is, you know. It sounds better in, in concept than, than it is it in execution. Is, yeah. yeah. Uh, in, in terms of execution, the autistic thing is kind of complicated to begin with. I'm not uh, sure it even needed that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that's, I, I, I'm, I'm sure yeah. it didn't need it because yeah. nine times out of ten you're going to get it wrong. And and there's an obsession with certain kinds of Star Trek fans yeah. that you can give this 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 idea to anyway. You don't. Yeah, you didn't need that. You uh, know, uh, look, uh, without making them autistic. I was so angry about all of the the um, the retconning in Star Trek II: Wrath of Khan, the way that it just ignored things from the previous movie, mm. and that it just it reinvented things, it ignored stuff, even from Space Seed, the episode that it is ostensibly based on, that they got the order of planets wrong, the yeah. way that they orbited that that I, they, all these things that were wrong in it. I wrote a twenty-five page handwritten letter to the editor of Starlog magazine, which I never mailed. <laughs> uh, it was just me, you know, venting my spleen over how much I hated Wrath of Khan. Which good thing Mark's not here to hear this. Um, because I, you know, I'm a Star Trek motion picture guy. I like one in five, yeah. the two that everyone else hates. Uh, but uh, I like one. I love one, and I like five. The yeah. Shatner directed one that everyone bags on. 
Because you know, everybody loves Wrath of Khan. Everybody loves the ones where they, where they put uh, Spock in the giant sunglass case, as they said on <laughs> as they said on Sandra. Uh, uh Interesting, but yeah, uh, they didn't need to give to make her artistic in order to make this work. Make her a little bit younger and just send her off on the journey. Yeah. Patton Oswalt, Patton Oswalt, actually quite good in this little movie. Uh, so it's not terrible. Deleted scenes, making of, please stand by. Um, you know, not terrible at all. I got a couple of uh, new 4Ks here. Now, this is really interesting what's going on here. So Summit, who is a sister company uh, to Lionsgate, uh, Summit has these movies in its library. And uh, they did the, we, we covered one of them last week. And they are trying to uh, apparently do something that the studios are not doing, the, main, the major studios. The major studios are putting out onto 4K things that are either brand new or very high-profile things like last week we had uh, you know, Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. So super high profile, relatively recent classics from the last, you know, 20, 30 years. And uh, and then things like Die Hard is going to make, a, you know, its 4K debut. So they're, they're doing that stuff. And then also new films. That's not exactly what Summit is doing. Summit has this library of movies that are somewhat forgotten. They kind of came and went. They're, they're wide release movies. They're big budget movies. But they, they aren't memorable. They're not classics. So they're trying to give them a second lease on life by mm-hmm. kicking them out on 4K. Mm-hmm. And hope that people who are 4K adopters will look at the thin, the the slim picking on the on the shelf or online and go, oh, look, a new 4K movie. Well, I just need to bone up about something that looks interesting. Why not? I'll take a chance. And I'm some an of these adopter. movies were big. I mean, not, not not some of them. All of them were fairly big movies. They're big, big, big star movies. So the two we have here, are both from 2009, both Summit films, both on 4K now, uh, with uh, you know Ultra HD disc, a Blu-ray disc, and uh, a a uh, an ultraviolet copy on here as well, which Lionsgate is still married. Too. Not yet movies anywhere. Ultraviolet still. Uh, the first one is Knowing, a Nick Cage apocalypse movie uh, from 2009, which is, you know, silly and very Nick Cagey and and not as bad as what he's done more recently. Directed by Alex Proyas. He's wearing his superhero hair on that one. Yes, he is. <laughs> and Alex Proyas, very capable director who did, uh, you know, the original um, The Crow. Yeah. That's how he started. And then Dark City and... Alex Proyas has done some 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 cool stuff. Uh, so uh, it has a lot of style. The whole apocalyptic plot is a little bit of a cross between uh, you know Da Vinci Code and uh, I don't know like uh, you know what's what's a what's a, a mm. one of the one of those one of those uh, Christian apocalypse movies. Oh that yeah, Nick Cage yeah, was yeah, in, yeah, the, the, yeah. The carried away or swept away. Swept whatever, away, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, taken away, whatever. taken away, yeah. So it's a little bit like like a cross between those, but it's it's not great. But you know what? On in 4K, it it kind of scratches the itch. Uh, the other one is the better film, Push, also from 2009. Uh, Push is kind of like a second tier again with D- Dakota Fanning, kind of like a second tier X Men film. It's like X Men without being in the X Men world. Yeah. Um. These these people with superpowers who got to flee the government and you know they're on the run and they got to use their powers and work together. Um, Chris Evans before he was uh, Captain America. Yeah, after he was Johnny Storm, but before after he was he Johnny was Storm, Captain America. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, Dakota Fanning, Camilla Bell, and Jaiman Hunsu. It's a it's a good cast. It's an it's, it's a pretty res- good little movie. I saw that movie. I like it's not it. bad. You know, it's special not bad. effects and you know yeah. the plot line, all that stuff. Yeah, Paul McGuigan who directed it, a real solid director, and uh, you know David Borla. Don't know him, but he wrote the script. It's a decent little script. 
And uh, yeah, Paul, Paul directed Lucky Number Eleven. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Lucky Number Eleven, yeah. which I which I liked. Yeah. Uh, so Push is is probably the better of the of the two here, but both of them will will do right by your 4K system. They're both really really nice transfers, and Summit is doing a good job with the uh, the mastering. Uh, what are we doing? You want to knock off a couple yeah. of these movies before we go on to the television? Uh, yeah, let's over let's here? hit those two uh, to the to, to the side here. I got Bent, Carl or- o- Urban, Sophia Vergara, and Andy Garcia. You know, uh, you know, this is an okay little movie. Uh, ex-cop, drug bust goes wrong, one of those kind of things. Uh, a guy finds out that he's uh, actually a, a deep cover CIA agent. You know, one of those kind of things. This is a perfectly okay little movie. Sophia, uh, you know, I've come to think of her and so closely see her related to that television show. Yeah. Uh, what is it? The family, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that I have a little heart of a hard time watching her with a badge around her neck holding a gun. <laughs> uh, you know, at least if she's yeah. not pointing at it. But, you know, what the heck? It's actually an okay little movie. Special features behind the scenes of bent cast and crew interviews, uh, Blu-ray and digital. So here's a here's a really interesting, unusual movie that completely slipped me by. This is from Lionsgate, which includes uh, Ultraviolet, Blu-ray with Ultraviolet. It's called The Forgiven, starring Eric Bana and an almost unrecognizable Forrest Whitaker as Desmond Tutu. Mm. Uh, Forrest Whitaker puts on a prosthetic nose to become Desmond Tutu and does a really good job of it. He's vir- virtually unrecognizable. Um, if you watch, his, if you pay attention to his mouth, it's uh, pretty good. But considering that you go from Idi Amin to Desmond Tutu, yeah. not bad, Forrest. Really not bad. Not bad at all. Roland Joffe film, man. I mean, yeah, Roland Joffe still, yeah. still, he's still out there. He's kind of on the fringes, right? But uh, he's still, he's still kicking it. The guy who did, you know, yeah, the, the mission the kill, and the killing the mission. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, uh, and he co-wrote the script of this and, and co-produced it as well. So it's entirely uh, his thing. But it's a really interesting story. It's not the movie's a little bit underbaked, but it deserved better than it got. I think from uh, from you know in in public exposure. Um, the uh, it all kind of deals with a murderer who is seeking clemency, played by Eric Bana, who is visited by uh, Desmond Tutu, um, and the um, the the what what transpires from this, which yeah. I can't really get into. It's it's a it's it, the the turns of it are very interesting. Actually happened, and uh, it's. It's really quite interesting, uh, and I'm surprised that I didn't even know about the original story, that there was this moment between this yeah. convicted felon and Desmond Tutu, that this thing happened and that the news didn't really pick up on it and run with it. To, this story was kind of under the radar. It's 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 shaped a little bit like, and this is not exactly analogous, but a little bit like Dead Man Walking. If you remember the Sean, yeah. the Sean Penn yeah. with, with yes. Sister Helen Prejean and very, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Like yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Completely analogous. Very similar. Very similar story, in fact. Yeah. yeah. And two really great actors. I mean, Eric Bana is just so good. What, what happened to Eric in terms of the you, A-list American movies? You know what happened? Two things happened. Uh, Hulk and Henry VIII. Really? That's what happened. He played Hulk. Didn't, didn't really pan out. Uh, otherwise, he'd be he'd be making bank in all these Avengers movies. But yeah. same for Ed Norton; they just weren't they, they weren't the banner that everybody was looking for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and then he went on to play uh, Henry the Eighth in that movie, and he he ain't Henry the Eighth. Well, yeah, the 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 the, the other the other Boylan's yeah, the other Boylan, like yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Eric, yeah, you're handsome. Henry wasn't. 
No. You're also it, not a redhead. You're, you're, um, also, you're also not obese. <laughs> you know, uh, what are you doing? TV? Are you yeah, let's hit TV. A little let's bit of TV. TV. Uh, Dear White People. Uh, look, this was a really neat little movie from a couple of years ago. Uh, and uh, when they decided to do the series, I was kind of critical. Uh, 2014 film. Yeah, uh, I was kind of critical because you know I saw them. I saw this thing starting to happen. Spike Lee doing. Yeah. She's got to have it as television. I'm like, okay, yeah. what, are we, what are we doing? What are we doing this now? We're 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 we're, t- we're turning. We're doing the mash thing. We're yeah. taking a hit movie and we're going to turn it into a series and really try to milk it for as long if, as for we as can. long as we possibly can. And look, man, I want everybody to get paid as much as the next guy. But usually these things are terrible. Yeah, this is not. I know. Uh, this is actually quite yeah. good. Uh, so this is season one of, of of Dear White People. It's still funny, mostly. Yeah, sharp and uh, uh, and uh, and biting. They but- found they found an angle. And, yeah, and I have to be honest, I had the same feeling because you, you you watch the movie and you and I kind of felt like, well, everything he has to say on this topic is in the movie. Yeah, and- I don't know where you. I don't know how you turn this into a into a weekly thing. I don't know. It's going to be the same jokes over and over. But it's not actually. It uh, they they found a groove. They found an angle, and it's it's complementary to the film. To the film, yeah. It, yeah. Ve- it veers off. It's uh, it's way less judgmental. Same thing with she's got to have it. By the way, it took me a while to get into. Not that we're talking about that at the moment. This is dear, which white I have not yet watched. And uh, again, critical for all the yeah. same reasons. Um, this is what I like about it. Every single episode is written by a woman, mostly Spike's daughter, or and, yeah. and, and other women. How old is Spike's daughter? Uh, about twenty six. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, and uh, actually, has an older one too. And the the thing that I don't like about uh, she's got to have it is that Spike directed every episode. Yeah. Um, he shouldn't have done that. He should have let the girls have it all. You yeah. know, I mean, he set the stage. Go over there. And let's see what they do. But he had to be hanging around. Dad, <laughs> dad. Anyway, go ahead. Good, good, good show though. I do like it. Got some old comedy for you, old TV comedy. Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In, the complete fourth season, uh, which is really in a groove. Uh, fourth season is considered one of the best, and uh, for a very good reason. It's just it's the the writing is sharp, the editing is sharp. They they're in a groove. They got the formula. Everybody kind of knows what they got to do, and. Um, it, there, it has some of these really, really unbelievably classic moments uh, with Don Rickles and Sammy Davis Jr. and Wilt Chamberlain. Um, one of the all-time great cla- uh, laugh-in moments. Um, Goldie Hawn came back to the show in the fourth season as an Oscar winner. Yeah. Uh, and, but, and, butterflies? And, no, flower? Uh, cactus flower. Cactus flower, yeah. Cactus flower, yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of unbelievable guest stars on here. Debbie, Griff- uh, Debbie Reynolds shows up. Uh, Carol Channing. Bing Crosby, Tim Conway, Bob Newhart, Rod Serling. It's just a, it's an, you know, Flip Wilson. It's a really. It's One of a, the things I loved about laughing over the course of its run, yeah. that season in particular, is uh, you saw all kinds of black and brown folks on that show. Yeah. Including absolutely. James Baldwin. And, yeah. And, and, uh, and, and including uh, uh, Jim Brown. Yeah. Uh, you would see the, on the, you know, dancing around in that room. Yeah. They're, they're all dancing. Yeah. Teresa Graves on that show. Yeah. So it's, it's a really interesting thing that, that a show that long ago, that's 50 years ago now. Yeah. Uh, archived uh, a sort of interaction that you don't even see that much now no. on television. But it was all – it just goes to show the way things, you know. And these transfers are really good. Time Life really, really nailed it. I mean, the, the they kept the, the masters really clean, and they've they've done a really good job. So, And by the way, Rowan and Martin, they are funny. Oh, yeah. You know, those little things? Yeah. That, that, that was hysterical, dude. Yeah. That was so funny and topical, but still funny even it, to this day. It changed television, and it changed the culture. 
as did Jackie Gleason. Yeah. Uh, we have a three DVD deluxe edition of the Jackie Gleason show in color. Uh, with unre- seven unreleased Honeymooners sketches on here, uh, which are terrific. And again, great guest stars, including obviously Milton Berle, who was always there with uh, with Jack Gleason, Jack Benny, uh, George Burns, Mickey Rooney, Groucho Marx. It just it, it goes on and on and on. Uh, this includes 12 uh, never-before-released episodes of The Jackie Gleason Show, remastered and in full color. And then those seven great honeymooner sketches. Uh, it, it's just it, and it's funny, funny stuff. There are I remember- twelve unreleased episodes. Yeah, of the Jackie Gleason show. And what's unbelievable about this? Uh, this never before released. I mean, you know, aired on TV, but, yeah, never, but never before released. Never before released at, at all. Yeah. yeah. And I I haven't seen these since I was a kid. And yeah. I mean. I was little. I remember sitting there with my mother and my father. We had a black and white TV, a 12-inch black and white TV. I never saw this on color, yeah. but I remember the openings. He shot the show. You know, they aired it live from Miami Beach where you're going over the water, live from Miami Beach. And, the, you know, there's this helicopter shot going over the, uh, over the ocean and coming in on the hotel. Uh, I remember that really, really well. And uh, I, was, I was little, man. I was really, really little. But it's it's amazing to see it in color. It's like watching it the first time again. Jackie Gleason, legendary television figure, and this is just great stuff. Fantastic, man. Uh, Shameless. Uh, this is the complete eighth season of Shameless. I will admit that I did not start watching this show uh, until a friend of mine sort of turned me on to it, I don't know, probably uh, less than a year ago. Uh, and, uh, and, and I sort of fell into it in a certain spot. She was like, no, 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 go, go back to the beginning, go back to the beginning. So I did. I went back to the beginning and started watching it from season one. I didn't think I was going to like it because, frankly, I don't like um, I don't like drunks, uh, <laughs> generally speaking, and 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 all of the sort of mayhem that yeah. goes with that sort of general yeah. sort of thing. There's a thing going on in the show, though, which you know, had I watched it, I would have caught on to right away. So the show is not about him. Yeah, uh, the show is about her. The yeah. show is about the daughter, his eldest daughter, and how she holds this whole big crazy family together. Uh, with all its difference going going on, and, and, and him as a father, despite him. Uh, by the time you get to, the, to to season eight, and actually this would have happened in season seven, so I won't be giving anything away. This girl is rich, yeah, <laughs> and, and 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 owns property and everything. And I'm like, you know what? I think I I think I and I went back and watched my way all the way up to the, and I like the show actually quite a lot. Shameless. It's not about what you think it's about. Good stuff. Special features. Uh, a couple of featurettes. Blah blah blah. Neat stuff. A little bit of uh, British television and related things here, Uh, mostly from Acorn, but we got one from PBS, Unforgotten, the first season, the complete first season, uh, part of Masterpiece Mystery, which is uh, a really, really interesting show. Uh, Nicola Walker, who previously uh, appeared in Last Tango in Halifax, plays DCI Cassie Stewart. A uh, super smart detective um, who's uh, who, who is basically dealing with uh, kind of cold cases. And uh, her partner is played by Sanjeev Bhaskar, who is uh, formerly of the Indian Doctor, who's really, really, really good. Yeah. And um, the mystery here is uh, is quite wicked and really, really well written. It's very, very, very interesting. And uh, my favorite part of this is that old reliable, the aging Tom Courtney, who is just phenomenal in this. Tom Courtney is an absolute force of nature, uh, continues to be a great actor. If you, I mean, if you saw Tom Courtney in uh, Dr. Zhivago yeah, uh, 53 yeah. years ago, man, he is still yeah. kicking it, and he is still going strong, and he is so impressive. 
He's an even better actor now than he was then. It's really, really great. That is a Blu-ray of PBS's Unforgotten, the complete first season. Just terrific mystery. Nobody does uh, toughest nails, uh, yet accessible female detectives. Like, 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 like the, the English. Like, like the English. You know, I mean, amazing. Helen Mirren and then yeah, all the prime. So, I mean, you can go through a dozen of them. It's great. Absolutely fantastic. No, they do. They, they, they really nail it. And uh, here's another one, the Broken Wood Mysteries, Series 4 on Blu-ray. Which is wonderful. You know, the idea here is that you're uh, the, the British also love to do crime where there shouldn't be any crime, mm. which is, you know, very Twin Peaksy out in the middle of some wonderful pastoral area. And Brokenwood is just a wonderful little town. But there's a lot of messy, nasty stuff going on underneath the surface. And uh, Neil Ray plays the uh, the detective who's got to kind of get to the, the bottom of it, along with Fern Sutherland, who's yeah. one of those tough, tough as nails uh, women that we're talking about. Uh, you know, this of course takes place in New Zealand, but it technically is, you know, yeah. we, we include the Australian and the New, Ze- New Zealand stuff as, uh, as all part of that British mentality. Yeah. It's all part of the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the same cultural undertow. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, it's just really, really, it's really, really well done. It's terrific. And, uh, the fact that it, you know, watching this also, I'm looking forward to, uh, that, uh, the second season of the Jane Campion show, Top of the oh yeah uh, yeah I, I know the one you're talking about yeah, yeah it was on yeah. my head so, which is which was terrific too so looking forward to that Dang, yeah campion uh, Ackley Bridge series one from Acorn TV um, not a mystery not a crime thing this is this takes place in Yorkshire in the UK and deals with um, school integration issues between uh, British students and uh, pa- the children of Pakistani immigrants and um, it's really quite um, – it's kind of illuminating. Uh, it doesn't go where you expect it to go. It's not as self-serious as you think it might be. And uh, it really uh, – it, it's kind of hopeful and uh, wrestles with a lot of these issues kind of head on. It takes them – just deals with them and, you know, all sexual issues and ethnic issues and race issues and nationalism and racism and all that stuff. It really tackles it in a, in a very intelligent way. It's really well written. It's series one of Ackley Bridge – and I am very much looking forward to where that show goes. And then, lastly, here, uh, Midsummer Murders County Case Files. Uh, this is a, this is you know a collection of uh, Midsummer mysteries that uh, just you know it's a it's a it's a it's a potpourri of uh, of mysteries for people who just don't want to necessarily go and and buy all the individual seasons. Uh, these were all previously in other series box sets, but you know the, this thing's like more than two dozen uh, seasons now. So if you just don't want to dig that deep in the seasons. Um, these come from series 17, 16, and 18, and, uh, they, uh, there's really good stuff in here. The Dagger Club is really good, uh, Saints and Sinners, The Flying Club, and The Christmas Haunting is one I always really enjoyed. Uh, Grisella Blanco. Man, the first time I heard about Grisella Blanco, and, and I think it was on one of those, um, uh, crime detective shows, uh, that, that, that come on cable, and I was completely ca- captivated by the story of this woman. Um, Blanco, of course, uh, with a Colombian uh, young woman who came to uh, America, uh, kind of a Scarface style when she was yeah. 17 years old, you know, uh, uh, and uh, moved to Queens, uh, saw what was going on in the drug world, particularly to, to do with cocaine, and ultimately masterminded and built just an absolute gigantic cocaine empire. Her three, her three sons. Um, she was as vicious 
as uh, Scarface, uh, as, as Pacino ever played Scar- Scarface. Nasty. And, you know, and she was this woman uh, who sort of became legendary in a particular sort of way. Um, what I liked about uh, the, the, the characterization of, uh, of Grisilla by Catherine Zeta-Jones, who stars as her in this particular movie, is she makes her very empathetic. She's just not some crazy nutbag uh, running around doing things. And a lot of what she has to do has to do with pushing back against men, uh, her first husband and second husband and other men, uh, uh, who think that they can take advantage of her, and that's uh, their mistake. It's just really, really a neat thing. This is directed by uh, Guillermo Navarro, um, who was a wonderful cinematographer for years and years and years, uh, uh, Pan's Labyrinth and all kinds of stuff he was the cinematographer on. Uh, and also uh, does some directing on the Luke Cage television series and on Preacher and, uh, and a few other shows uh, that you probably watch on television. Uh, so uh, good work here applied to Cocaine Godmother, the Grisella Blanco story. Fantastic. I like seeing her stretch. Oh, yeah. All right. I'm going to kick through some anime here, and then uh, we will dive into some of the, uh, some of the classic films that we have piled up. Uh, from, from the Maiden Japan library is one of the most bizarre anime entries I think I've ever seen. This is basically CGI animated. Uh, Yona Yona Penguin is totally entertaining and utterly weird. So there's this six-year-old girl. She's in a penguin outfit. I won't explain how (laughs) and why, but she winds up falling into this alternate universe, this mystical kind of Alice in Wonderland, Oz-type journey which winds up being more Lord of the Rings than, or even Star Wars than anything else, where she is uh, deemed by the, 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 the inhabitants of this world to be kind of their Luke Skywalker-y uh, savior, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the usual hero's journey, all that Joseph Campbell stuff. And uh, so she has to, you know, become like a monster demon-fighting uh, savior girl in her penguin outfit. It's just weird and charming and totally incredibly weird and original and um it's it's completely unlike anything else i've i've ever i've seen in anime in years so yona yona penguin wild yeah right uh we now have uh more of this rather uh well you know is it <laughs> is it wrong to try to pick up girls in a dungeon uh. familia myth this is a limited edition, two-disc set. It also includes the uh, o, uh, OST. Is it wrong to expect a hot spring in a dungeon is the uh, specific uh, name of this particular installment of Is It Wrong to Try to Pick Up Girls in a Dungeon? Long, twisty title. We talked about a previous installment of this. And, uh, you know, I, it's it's risque. It's uh, What are you going to say? This is anime really pushing the envelope. And uh, it's, you know, it's for adults. It's not for kids, but most anime is like that. Uh, Don't watch it for the story. Watch it for the titillating artwork, I guess, the titillating animation, which is really, really titillating. Yeah. Uh, But it is a special edition, so I'm going to recommend it pretty much for fans. It's pricey, so only if you're really, really dedicated to it. Uh, here's what's really interesting. Akka, 13 Territory Inspection Department, the complete series. Uh, all of these now are from, the, I'm going to mention, are from Funimation. They are all Blu-ray DVD combo sets. And uh, Akka is is uh, quite interesting. Uh, the um, It's, again, mystery and it's fantasy and it's uh, it's kind of um, feudal in its, in its background. And uh, it deals with... Um, 
with a kind of the feudal politics of the Doa kingdom and uh, this organization that is known as ACCA, A-C-C-A, which kind of maintains the peace, kind of like a secret society. Um, the mythology of it takes a little bit to sort of adapt to, but that's true of most of these as well. So um, that's recommended. Uh, Interviews with Monster Girls, the complete series, is, uh, you know, about demi-humans, which are people who are half demon, half human, who are living in the world and kind of hiding. And it's about a teacher who discovers that there are some around him and decides, I'm going to find out more about them. So he conducts interviews with them. It's really not more complicated than that. It's not great, but it's, you know, uh, it, 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 has its, it has moments. Uh, Cato, The Right Answer, the complete series, is an alien invasion thing, an alien absorption thing. Uh, it, it kind of goes into most of the places that, like, if, you, if you're familiar with Arthur C. Clarke's uh, Childhood's End, which was done as a, uh, a live-action thing on sci-fi not too long ago, this has aspects of that in it. And it's also got aspects of Independence Day and other inv- alien invasion things. Uh, Cato, The Right Answer, K-A-D-O. Koro Sensei Quest, exclamation point, shorts. Uh, this is just kind of weird, tweaky stuff. It's a little bit, this skew's a little bit young. Um, the With magic assassins and uh, uh, this kind of Harry Potter-like magic school, uh, I it doesn't really work for me. It's still, it's too derivative of Harry Potter. Monster Hunter Stories, Ride On, Season 1, Part 2. Uh, is basically about a you know kid who's a monster rider, and uh, it, it doesn't really go any further than that. It's it's you know it kind of skews young as well. Didn't really do anything for me. Puzzle and Dragons X Part Two, terrific animation, really really interesting. Uh, deals with the uh, with a you know it's again more it's kind of Joseph Campbell mythical stuff about a kid who uh, learns to be a dragon caller which are, you know, humans who can, it's better than Monster Hunter, in, you know, humans who can, uh, who can conscript dragons and make dragons their, 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 uh, their servants and their allies and so forth. Um, Puzzle and Dragons X, part two. Uh, and then uh, two more here, Super Lovers, season two, is just really well written. Uh, it, there's nothing here uh, and spectacular, nothing here uh, science fiction-y or fantasy or genre. Uh, it's just uh, it's just about a, a really you know a powerful relationship that uh, that goes into some interesting directions and could just as easily have been a uh, a live action film. And then lastly, Tokyo Ghoul the movie. Uh, this is again like all the others is a Blu-ray DVD combo pack. And uh, it's about a um, about a guy whose only way of surviving is to become half human and half ghoul. And the once that saves his life, then he finds that he has a uh, kind of like a it's like one of like one of the like uh, I guess I want a best thing to compare it to Blade maybe because ah. Blade is right he's part human he's part, part, human, vampire. part vampire yeah. And uh, and he has to sort of deal with the appetites and the the friction between those two things exactly, and, and manage try, it. Try to manage it. So that's a little bit what Tokyo Ghoul is. It's a, it's kind of like a like a supernatural version of Blade or a more supernatural, more ghostly version of Blade. And that is our anime. 
All Tim, right. what do we got? We let's let's do some classic stuff from Arrow. I guess the the the, the business that we have here, correct? Yeah. Um, uh, the bird with the crystal uh, plumage, uh, Dario Argento. Um, I'm so sick of him. Oh, uh, you know what are you? Not do? his daughter. Yeah, uh, uh, Asia. Awesome, but... Asia's fantastic. You know what I liked about this movie? It's even in 1970. I was into Tony Mustante. Yeah, uh, who went on to play Toma? Yeah. a few years later, an Italian detective cop series or something like that, and Stingray and all this kind of stuff like that. That's the thing I actually liked about this movie. It's a movie about a guy uh, who's a writer living in Rome. He sees uh, this horrible murder happen in this art gallery, but he can't do anything about it. He becomes a bit of obsessed with it and starts investigating what happened himself to see if he might have seen something to lead to finding the killer. And, you know, it, it, it's at the top of the, the Giallo sort of, yeah. you know, is this his first Giallo film? Uh, might have been. No, it might have been. I don't know. I'd have to look it up. Anyway, brand new 4K restoration of the film from the original camera negative, which is kind of amazing. Uh, high definition Blu-ray uh, presentation. Lots of neat stuff on here, uh, including uh, an, an essay by Dario and a few other people. Um, so you know, if you're a fan of Dario and and, uh, and all of his work, uh, yeah, sure, you're gonna want to grab this. I sort of grew out of my giallo phase about uh, 45 years ago. <laughs> I <think>. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's not my kind of thing particularly. Reanimator 1985. This was a fun movie. That's such a classic. And you know, it's such it's it's funny because normally, I mean, it's Frankenstein, let's be honest. Yeah. It's a, it's a knockoff of Frankenstein, but um somehow, man, with Stuart Gordon and that whole crowd, they he just found a new way into it. Yeah, yeah, adaptation of the Lovecraft, of course. And it just really is a movie that really just never Never gets old. Looks a little dated in some ways, but uh, I actually like it better than most of what happens in this movie now would be done with CGI. Yeah. Uh, but it's all practical effects in this. Reanimator from Arrow. All kind of, Again, 4K restoration, unrated version, uh, high-definition Blu-ray, uh, subtitles, isolated score, just more and more and more and more stuff. Just a fantastic uh, collection of things on a, on a um, wonderful movie. And uh, oh, that two thousand maniacs. Yeah, what do you know about two thousand maniacs? Man? Uh, it, you know, two thousand maniacs is uh, is kind of a notorious film. Herschel on... Gordon Lewis. Yeah, it's not. You know, it was nineteen sixty three. Uh, so it's 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 early. It's one of the one of the original gore things. Um, but uh, it's not very good. <laughs> but yeah, yeah it, 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 what I liked about it is it's set in the deep south, and a lot of these things. Yeah. So I mean, Texas same. Chainsaw yeah. Massacre and, and, and whatever. Uh, and you have these people, six people, they go down there in the deep south. And and, the, and these townspeople in the sick town just, you know, they start killing them. They also include, uh, speaking of, they also include Moonshine Mountain, uh, which was his, his, uh, his, his uh, you know, an even more uninteresting movie. Uh, but Moonshine Mountain is... Uh, from 1964. Wow, wow, that's really interesting. No, there's a, there's a yeah, there's a lot of stuff on here, tons here, including David Friedman, the gentleman smut peddler, a tribute to uh, David Friedman. Uh, you know, we uh, we and we, we interviewed. Were you there the day we interviewed? Oh yeah, David Friedman? yeah, for uh, for Schlock, for Schlock. You yeah. know, he's just such a such a great guy. David Friedman, of course, produced all of Herschel Gordon Lewis's stuff. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, 2000 Maniacs. Yeah, it's another another great one from Arrow. Ang- ang- angry at the Yankees. Angry at the Yankees. Yeah. Where are we going? Uh, let's see. I'm going to do, do some Twilight Time here. We got four new ones from Twilight Time, which you can get at twilighttimemovies.com or screenarchives.com. This is a, uh, a great selection. Every month they come up with such interesting stuff. I'm going to save the uh, the best for last here. 
And I'm going to start with uh, Autofocus. Autofocus is, is one of the more recent Twilight Time releases. If you didn't see it, Paul Schrader made a movie uh, back in 2002 yeah. that was detailing the uh, the Bob Crane affair. Now, Bob Crane, of course, played Hogan on Hogan's Hogan Heroes. Heroes yeah. And had, you know, apart from being a star, had a rather bizarre double life that resulted in his death. Yes. That got into some nasty little... I remember that when it all actually happened. I do too. And it was, as it as it was slowly divulged, you know, the, the sex parties and the movies. And, and it the just, movies, yeah. It got, he had a, he had a was, fetish with porn and making porn in Vegas. Was, I think it was Vegas, right? It's just nasty and weird and creepy. Uh, it really is. And, uh, you know, uh, too bad Mark's not here because Mark knows Greg Kinnear. And Greg Kinnear pretty much kills it playing yeah. Bob Crane. He really nails it. It's great casting. Uh, Willem Dafoe is even creepier than he's ever been. And he, he he's he's really creepy. Um, but anyway, it all, it all goes south in a horrible, horrible way, which makes this a very unpleasant movie to watch in many ways. But uh, it's, a, it's still a really interesting story, and it's a very well-done movie. And it's one of the better things that Paul Schrader has done over the last 20-some-odd years. Yeah, it, um, it's, it's in his bailiwick it is. of that sort of uh, thing. I think I got, eventually got convicted of that murder, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's all, it's all here. It's, it's just an amazing trajectory, how it destroys his family and everything else. It's really interesting. Uh, from the 1950s, we have another couple of that are really interesting, Blue Denim and No Down Payment. Uh, no Down Payment was made in 1957 and is one of the, the lesser-known films by Martin Ritt, uh, I, I think, because it's kind of not exactly what he normally does. But what an amazing cast, what an absolutely wonderful, wonderful cast. Tony Randall and Jeffrey Hunter and Patricia Owens and Pat Hingle. Um, it's, just, it's just a really, really interesting movie, and it's especially if you live in California – uh, you. This represents a particular part of California history that is so fascinating, and you see the remnants of it wherever you go. Um, it just deals with you know, California had a lot of development in the 1950s. It really kind of exploded uh, under Governor Pat Brown, in particular, and um, who is Jerry Brown's dad. And uh, the um, this deals with. People in a particular neighborhood, and all of, I guess a Peyton Placey kind of way. Mm-hmm. I guess best way is to put it as Peyton Place in a in a California suburban area, and uh, all of the different things that go on. It's really really interesting, and uh, most interesting is that it was written by Ben Maddow, who was a, a blacklisted writer at the time, uh, but Philip Jordan took the credit. So Philip Jordan's name still appears on it, but just know that Ben Maddow actually wrote this uh, during the blacklist period. Uh, and then the other film, Blue Denim, is an extraordinarily powerful Philip Dunn movie. Philip Dunn didn't really uh, you know, make it much of a name as a, as a director of kind of high-profile movies, but this is really one of his best. It's outstanding. Uh, Carol Lindley, Brandon DeWild, McDonald Carey, uh, really just a superb uh, story, written by Edith Summer and Philip Dunn and produced by Charles Brackett. Yep. Uh, Charles Brackett, after he'd gone out on to be a, a producer uh, independent of Billy Wilder, this was made in 1959, same year as Ben-Hur. So that's why it's a little bit uh, forgotten because nobody remembers anything from 59 other than Ben-Hur. Uh, but this is uh, basically about a couple of teenagers uh, dealing with an unwanted pregnancy. And that's not something that you get normally in a movie from the 1950s. Uh, but it's it's dealt with here in a really mature way, very sensitively. It's quite powerful, and uh, it's done as well as I think any movie in the period could have done it. 
And then the last one here is my favorite, Model Shop, Jacques Demy, who, of course, did Umbrellas of Cherbourg and The Young Women of Rochefort. Uh, Jacques Demy made a really interesting movie in 1969 with Model Shop. And what he did was he decided to uh, make an English-language film set in Los Angeles where he brought back in characters from all of his previous movies, which he does to to varying degrees of success. Uh, Most notably, he brings back Anouk Aimé's Lola, from the movie Lola, mm-hmm. but other characters come in as well. So it's it sort of it 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 makes it clear that this is part of a world like the 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 Jacques Demy cinematic universe, yeah, like Marvel universe. Uh, <clears throat> really quite interesting. Gary Lockwood, uh, right after two thousand one, gives another fine performance here, and it's also a really wonderful Los Angeles movie. It's very movie. It's it's a it's kind of a love letter to Los Angeles, much as his two French. Uh, musicals were to their respective cities. So um, I just think it's wonderful. It has a great isolated music track uh, with, you know, tremendous songs that were composed by Spirit. It's really a, a really a cool film of the era, but one of the most interesting films from Jacques Demy's uh, filmography. And if you've seen the other movies, you will absolutely get a huge kick out of it. Cool, cool, cool. I uh, want to pop over and do. Let's. Uh, yeah, we got we got we got a bunch of kinos here. So yeah. these are these are. Let, let's hit the hit the hit the kino pile. <clears throat> the um uh, the first one I'll go with here. Paul Newman uh, as Governor uh, Huey Long in Blaze. Uh, mm-hmm. This was a really neat 1989 film that I really enjoyed. Lolita Davidovich, who I see at the market all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, I run into her around and about too. Ron Shelton, early Ron Shelton film. Ron, yeah. we were going to direct Bull. And they went on to marry. They're married. Uh, yeah, now. They're that's married, why yeah. she doesn't work anymore. Doesn't have to. We're married to Ron Shelton. Mm-hmm. Uh, white men can't jump. Todd, yeah. all that kind of ten cup. You know, that's that. It's his, his sort of Bailey. Yep. This is actually this would have been actually a different kind of movie for Ron Shelton at the time. Uh, loosely based, of course, on the uh, book by. Blaze Star, who was yep. a, you know, a fairly noted stripper uh, back in the day, who had an affair uh, with Governor uh, uh, Earl K. Long. Really uh, well played by yeah, uh, uh, Paul Newman. Paul Newman, uh, and uh, you know, it's really, really a neat story, and, and, and it's all about the effect that she has on him and, and, and his politics and what he does. It's kind of a um, uh, uh, kind of Bullworth before Bullworth, really. Yeah. Um, uh, so neat movie, um, written for the screen by Ron Shelton. Uh, audio commentary from uh, from the director on the movie too. And another Ron Shelton commentary, a really good one on a lesser film, <clears throat> uh, Play It to the Bone, one of his sports films. This was a boxing film yeah. with Woody Harrelson and Antonio Banderas. I'm uh, not sure that this is really a terribly good movie, but his commentary is really, really quite good. Lolita and was still hanging around. Lolita is, of course, in this as well, uh, as is Tom Sizemore and uh, Lucy Liu before we really knew what she was capable yeah. of. This was made in 1999. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, uh, I guess it's white men can't jump in a boxing ring is maybe the better, <laughs> better way to put it. But, uh, I, Woody Harrelson is great, but I especially enjoy Antonio Banderas in this. It's not, again, it's not deep. It's not great, but, um, it's a, it's a Ron Shelton movie. You'll it's, get a kick out of it. It's that thing that he does, that thing that he, he does. does. Uh, uh, Jim Abrams. Uh, I love me some Jim Abrams. Back to Airplane and Before, Top Secret, Val yeah. Kilmer, all that good stuff, Hot Shots. Part deux. He made a movie called Mafia with Bette Midler. Um, I'm sorry, he made a movie called – he made Mafia too, but, he, but – yeah, uh, I, got, I got Mafia. You got right Mafia there. over there. Yeah. But he made this movie, uh, uh, a big business, Bette Midler and Lily Tomlin, Lily yeah. Tomlin and Bette Midler, kind of at that height of their sort of middle 80s mm-hmm. sort of comeback uh, period that they were both having when yeah. Bette was doing you know, oh, uh, Wind, Wind, uh, Wind Beneath My Wings and all that kind yeah. of stuff like that. This was a very, very cute film uh, in, 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 in – 
in the vein of the stuff that they did. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, you know, to that extent, it's, it's kind of cute. Audio t- commentary by director Jim Abrams uh, and a few other things on the DVD. And the other Ooh. Abrams film <clears throat> is Mafia. Now, the correct title of this, without which you don't really understand it, is Jane Austen's Mafia. It's Jane Austen's mm-hmm. Mafia. And the idea is that this was, you know, this was 1998 when we were getting a lot of Jane Austen movies, right? We were getting Sense and Sensibility mm-hmm. with Emma Thompson, and we were getting uh, the, uh, the, uh, yeah, the whole mess Emma. of those We movies. had Emma, Emma, yes. Emma was being released. Really there was and one there were, with Minnie Driver. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, There were a bunch of them. There were like, there were like four, five, six of them all, all in the span of about two or three years. So he made a movie that was uh, taking pot shots at both Jane Austen movies and at The Godfather. Yeah. And so he made Jane Austen's Mafia, which is not terribly funny, I hate to say. Uh, but again, it's a really good commentary. It's a better commentary. I remember this very well. I did the uh, I did the junket for this. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I did the junket <laughs> for this. I remember it very, very well. And it was uh, it was actually a really fun junket. Abrams was – I felt badly for not liking the movie better yeah. because he was so enthusiastic. And Jay Moore was just really animated. Young Jay Moore. He's like, yeah. And uh, it was a good junket. Uh, Olympia Dukakis is very funny. Christina Applegate was very, very funny in it. Everybody's funny, but the movie just isn't. I, I don't know how to explain it. Um, but anyway, uh, it has really good commentary. And uh, so I'll recommend it just for the commentary alone. Um, this is a pretty neat movie. Bo, Bo uh, uh, Swevenson and Sybil Shepherd and Special Delivery. I remember this. I see him at the market, too. Uh, you, you run a yeah, job all the time, yeah. too? Every time I see him at the market, all I can think of is, Ivan, did you see the sunrise? <laughs> Bam! I'm, like, I'm oh, so man. glad Magnum killed you, man. Oh man, man, man! The one yeah. time, the one time Magnum pulled the trigger. Oh, thank God! Uh, 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 Paul Windicos made this neat little movie. This is a neat movie. It's really just a, 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 a bank robbery movie. Uh, it's set in Los Angeles. Uh, back in the day, you would you you you'd have been hanging around. This is middle seventy six. You'd have been like a kid when they were. Oh making yeah, this yeah. Yeah, uh, running sure. around Los Angeles. Civil Shepherd looking fantastic. Brand new HD master uh, from a 4K scan of the original 35 millimeter negative. This was a Paramount film. It was a neat film. I actually liked this quite a lot. Sybil is fantastic in this movie. So got a, got a couple of wacky comedies here from uh, the 1970s. Both of them rated, well, uh, one of them is rated G. The other one's rated GP, which is kind of like PG of a previous era, which would be a G today. So they're both rated G. Let's put it that way. Um, these are also both from the ABC Picture Corporation, uh, which doesn't really exist anymore. Mm. But uh, so they they come from a very particular sensibility in the 1970s. The uh, the earlier one from 1970 is uh, a Jackie Gleason movie called How Do I Love Thee, and it dates a little bit. But I mean, come on, Jackie Gleason and Shelley Winters, give me a break. I mean, Maureen Maureen O'Hara is wonderful, but. You know, just a, a movie that has Jackie Gleason and Shelley Winters in it is a movie I want to see. And uh, I still enjoy this. It's dated, uh, directed by Michael Gordon, 1970. But it's still kind of fun. And it's uh, it's uh, it's one of those 70s-era farces that that packs too many people into too many preposterous situations. A in 70s it. era farce that should have been yeah. made in the 60s. <laughs> it, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It should have been made in the It should have been made around the same time as uh, Mad, 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 Mad Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's kind of some of those sensibilities. But uh, it's based on, on a book, apparently, uh, by Peter DeVries, who wrote Pete and Tilly. And, uh, you know, the cast is wonderful. Uh, the the one that's much more my speed is Mastermind, which yeah. is a Jackie, Ch- or a, not Jackie, a, Char- a Charlie Chan spoof. Starring Zero Mostel in in Yellowface, which again is acceptable only because it is a spoof. 
Uh, and uh, Mostel just completely kills it. The 1976, it's a little bit late for a movie like this, um, <laughs> but uh, it really just, it takes pot shots at the whole Charlie Chan movie genre in such a beautiful way. Um, it's it's not quite a Peter Sellers uh, Clouseau thing, but it kind of winks at that a little bit as well. So um, I, I, I think you can have a lot of fun with this. Directed by Alex March, 1976, uh, Mastermind, a comedy from the six from the seventy that is that has kind of disappeared a little bit. Yeah, no, no, don't do those anymore. Uh, Feast of July. Feast of July is a nineteen ninety five film that's really kind of interesting in that uh, it is a sort of merchant ivory esque film that doesn't have anything to do with James Ivory. James Ivory, uh, um, Ismail Merchant did produce it, uh, uh, but the Ivory is really not connected to it. It's a it's a lovely film uh, adaptation. Uh, it's about uh, a young woman that goes to live with this family. Uh, that in, in which there are these three sons, and you know, obviously the three sons uh, all fall for her, um, and um, she chooses one, and uh, tragic circumstances uh, ensue. Ben Chaplin is one of the sons. Uh, I think it might have been the first or second time that I ever saw Ben Chaplin yeah. in, in the film uh, here. But it's a perfectly beautiful movie of a sort of merchant ivory type, uh, and it's a gorgeous movie too. It's just beautifully, beautifully shot. Uh, audio commentary by the director, um, 1995, Feast of July. A wonderful, wonderful, wonder. the last one here from Kino is a really wonderful, wonderful Western kind of romantic comedy. Um, this movie has been kind of buried a little bit. 1943, A Lady Takes a Chance with Gene Arthur and John Wayne. I had completely forgotten that Gene Arthur and John Wayne ever appeared in anything together because Gene Arthur we normally associate with uh, Cary Grant in particular. Uh, just a wonderful, wonderful actress. And uh, John Wayne, we don't really associate with anything particularly light. Yeah. You know, certainly not this light. Yeah, and 43, that's not that early. I mean, no. Because he had, he had been doing those little softy yeah. cowboy movies uh, in the 30s. But it's a, it's a romantic comedy western. And, uh, Joe Swirling. Oh. it's Yeah, it's just absolutely delightful. It is just, it's so sweet. And, you know. I mean, it's uh, it's it's what exactly what you would expect it to be, which is you know Wayne plays the cowboy, and uh, you know she's she's kind of a the girl that gets all the cowboys to love her, and and it's a meet cute, and you know love each other, hate each other, love each other, hate each other, and you go through all those kinds of uh, the usual genre ups and downs. But um, she, you know she plays it tough, she plays it fun. He plays it light, and he's vulnerable, and uh, it's it's just really, really delightful. It really is a, an incredibly sweet film. It's a whole, it's a pleasure to watch, and they did a great job with this transfer. This has taken uh, this is a brand this is an HD master. This is a Blu-ray HD master from a 4K scan of the original 35 millimeter nitrate negative uh and the nitrate fine grain so i mean the the paramount gave them the very best elements that they had and they absolutely got the most beautiful look the only thing that'll make this look better is releasing it in 4k yeah uh otherwise it's absolutely terrific uh the house to drip blood this is an interesting little anthology uh of, of films actually it's just one film with the with four storylines four little stories within the films uh the the movies about this house in the uk uh it's like mostly an unoccupied house uh these terrible things happen at this house and we have a detective who's investigating uh, all these things nice. but they're, they're kind of like these four little standalone stories uh that are sort of interesting to me um one of the peter cushing isn't one of them but the one that i like denholm elliott is one of them the one that i like the most is the one about the guy with the black cape yeah and that's 
stars John Pertwee, mm. who of course was like the third Doctor. Right. In the Doctor Who series. Right. So, you know. Uh, by the way, if you watch Gotham, the guy that plays Alfred on Gotham, uh, uh, which is the television version of the Young Batman series? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's John Pertwee's son. Oh, that's right, Sean, Sean Pertwee. That's Pertwee. right. Uh, so anyway, a little notch there. Anyway, this was really uh, cool. Uh, vampires, a little voodoo, uh, kind of sexy. The house that dripped blood from the author, by the way, of Psycho. Oh yeah, the book Robert Block, yeah. who also wrote an episode of Star Trek, the yes. original Star Trek series, which is uh, Cat's uh, Cat's Eye. Yeah, yeah. Sweet, sweet, sweet. Robert Block. Uh, and then lastly, we're going to go out with a, a sensational new Blu-ray from the Warner Archive Collection. Sensational. Uh, so much great stuff in the Warner Library, and boy, did they get a great one here. George Cooker uh, directing uh, the amazing, wonderful adaptation of uh, Cole Porter's Lay Girls with Gene Kelly, Mitzi Gaynor. Uh, Kay Kendall, this is an absolutely wonderful, wonderful musical. Uh, the best people doing it. It's just this is one of those things where all the elements came into 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 perfect alignment. The stars completely aligned, and uh, that it's just that great Cole Porter music. It just it's it's with Mitzi Gaynor and Gene Kelly. It just doesn't get any better. Uh, it really is a wonderful film. George Cooker just nails it in every conceivable way. This was made in 1957. Mm-hmm. Uh, right kind of, you know, on the cusp. The the next year, you got Gigi, mm-hmm. and then the 60s gave us all of those great musicals, including 1964, when Cooker would win Best Director for Best Picture, uh, My Fair Lady. So this is kind of, you can see Cooker flexing those, those muscles. You know, he's a veteran already at this stage, but he still has his best work yet to come. And uh, this thing won a, an Oscar for costume design that it totally, absolutely deserved. And uh, it's a it's an absolutely wonderful, wonderful story. So if you if you haven't seen Lay Girls, it's good to see on stage. Yeah. Um. But man, what a great movie! Gene Kelly, never never better. All right. With that, we are done. So and glad Mark. That was uh, great. For, for yeah, a couple, that was couple great of, having him for a, for a show and and a few. And uh, we will be back next week. Hopefully, uh, Hollywood will not come apart at the seams. And uh, I'm going to keep trying to to get to the bottom of what's happening with Oppo. That just. Uh, is mystifying everybody, but I want to. I want to get the story on that. All I right. think it has something to do with the Russians. <laughs> Very well, good. <laughs> Thank you